Good morning, Triple H 100.1 FM. Oh, I could just listen to that groove all morning. A little bit of feminine jam there by Michael Ben Hayen to start us off on a day talking about menopause. This is a show that covers health and well-being, celebrating people and services in our community and being inspired by those beyond. We make space on this show to go below the surface of all sorts of topics, yet everything always finds its way back to how we are with ourselves and with others. Now, waking up this morning, we're no clearer on the result of eight weeks of campaigning for a federal election. And so today's show is actually going to be a politics-free zone breath of fresh air, I think, this morning while we wait until what happens later in the week. Today's show is on menopause. So I can feel immediately a whole load of people going, oh, this show doesn't relate to me. But those without a uterus, please do not turn off. And I'm going to give you three reasons why you should stay. Firstly, you probably know someone with a uterus. Secondly, you possibly love someone with a uterus. And thirdly, you could find a few similarities in this show with our menopause conversation from a few weeks back. Three good reasons. So now I've got your attention and you've stepped away from the dial and the change station button. Let's look global before we bring it local. Everything, really, when you think about it, is in flux. Regular shocking news comes internationally in the shapes of man's atrocities to man through violent acts, Vicious words, politics has changed and lacks authenticity, the climate and humans are responding to this stress with some extreme reactions. Now we don't live in isolation, so bearing in mind there are physiological responses to stress in our body, it is no surprise that perhaps our health and well-being are also in flux and that our hormones are right up there as a temperature gauge. So you see... Even though we're talking about menopause today, this is relevant for so many of us at any stage in our lives. Now, without further ado, let me introduce my guest who I've got in the studio today. I have Jean Gamble and Trudy Ann Kamodi. Jean works as a psychotherapist in private practice, as well as being a presenter and guest speaker on topics for health and well-being. Jean has been on the show many times before, and they always prove to be popular shows I'm sure it is because of the refreshingly honest and say it, is, say it like it is approach that Jean brings to our conversations. Welcome, Jean. Thank you, Lucy, for that very nice intro. And it's lovely to be here again on this sunny Sunday morning. Beautiful sunny Sunday morning. And Trudy Ann. Trudy Ann and I have known each other for many years. And Whenever we catch up, we don't mess around with surface conversation. We're digging deep into the whys and wherefores of human behavior before our coats are even off. Um, she brings with her a wealth of experience of the emotional and physical and a divine humor that bring, puts it all into perspective, which I'm pretty sure with the combination of uh, Jean and I will um, prove to be quite an entertaining day looking at uh, a subject that I think most people don't talk about very often. Uh, Trudy Ann works as a hairdresser locally and I think everyone who has a hairdresser who, who engages with people and life will know it is rarely a simple cut and blow dry. Today we are going to be experts of our own experiences. Welcome Trudy Ann. Thank you Lucy. Um, now we're not going to focus so much on the medical approach to menopause. I'll give you the signs and symptoms through the show as we go along and I'll direct you primarily to your general practitioner for more support. 
But today's show is going to be about the reality of living with some of the symptoms in our day-to-day and some top tips of how to support yourself in times of stress and through challenges that can come up with self-worth, which I think are really very prevalent around uh, the time when your hormones are in flux. And it was through one of these conversations about, you know, God, what, what is it? Or the, this massive change in hormones that you go through puberty and then, and then it all comes back around again in, yeah, as you sort of go later in life. And it, I wouldn't attach it to an age. It's just later in life. And so it was through these conversations that I realized that we don't have the conversation enough. We don't talk about what happens to us as women as we age. Um, we don't talk about how to fi- how finely tuned our bodies are and what a delicate balance our body has with the cycle that is constantly producing hormones which affect us physically and emotionally. And these hormones are sensitive to stress and shock. So with stress levels rising as they are, it's no wonder that women are finding these bizarre changes happening earlier than they would necessarily expect. So I would ask both of you um and um, both of you obviously work with women all the time you see women in your day-to-day all the time so either as a both of you as practitioners in your own field do you feel that there is a shame that women feel about getting older whether it be trying to change their appearance or or i mean just trying to wind back the clock on the physical manifestations of aging Look, I do feel that that's true. It's not every woman who feels that way. But if we were to generalize, I would say that there, there is a, I don't know if I'd call it a shame, but there's a desire amongst women to stay youthful and not to surrender to the aging process and embrace it um, as part of our eldership. It feels like there's a, a tendency to want to stay youthful, that we feel more worth, more value if we are young. And because of that, we resist it. And I know that most of my friends have their hair colored because they think that if they go gray, it'll look too old. And I'm sure Trudy would be able to say more about that. Yeah, what do you find, Trudy? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, a lot of clients when they come in, and I agree with Jean, it's not so much a shame or anything in that sort of sense, um, but they really, some of the things that they say, one thing is if they're looking through magazines and stuff like that, all of these ones that are having facelifts or different things like that, it's almost like, oh, why would they be putting themselves through that? Then when we go to look for hairstyles or things like that, there's often not a lot of Uh, styles for them to choose from because a lot of the ones in magazines and stuff like that are all based on the youth. Um, And also a good point Jean made with the um, clients being grey. I have a real mixture. Some people that feel they could never go down that road, but it's interesting that we do start to lighten them up um, even by doing foils or changing because as you get older, your skin lightens. Yep. And so you can't really stay the colour that you were when you were once youthful. So, so. things physically change. So it, it's about maybe the colour palette that you're used to not being the same, which is where when you look in the mirror, you don't feel like a, the same colours are working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. And I think in a lot of the ways they just 
have to accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in saying that, I was always very good with advice on that sort of thing. And then now I've hit that stage in my life and some of the things were a little bit, um, oh gosh, this is happening to me. And I was very good with the advice, but I don't know when it sort of started for myself, whether I was accepting to start with. Mm. Yeah, I, um, I, I know my sister went grey very young. She was, I think she started dyeing her hair in her late 20s. Um, and, and I still haven't. I'm a bit older than that now. So I'm in my late 40s and I, I haven't yet. And yet I can see the physical change in my hair quality and I can see some white coming. So I, I, I think I'll go straight white rather than do the grey the grey thing. That's something about the auburn hair that, that apparently bypasses mm. grey. Yours, because you have the warmth in it being auburn, it actually stays with that, so you never really get that grey. Mm-hmm. You'd need to be darker in but order to do that. There's something lovely about just going there gently rather than crash, bang. And I think nature does that. It's shock that sometimes can take that pigment out of your mm-hmm. uh, out of your hair colour quite quickly, isn't it? Again, we're talking about a stress in the body yeah. that makes the hormones and things change very fast. Otherwise, in its natural order nature goes quite gently and take handholds us through the process of aging. Mm. It's interesting actually, something completely different, but when um, women, men as well, um, when women lose their hair for chemo and stuff like that, when their new hair comes back, um, they often say, oh, I was never as white as this or it does seem darker. But I think people have to remember that the hair that you're born with, then because of the sun and different things like that, it lightens over time, it Mm. changes, then you have artificial colour. So you don't actually, the amount of regrowth that people actually see is not what is the true, yeah, yeah, true true perception. Yeah. So it's good. Clearly I came in with with having, because I've done quite a bit of research, I've read a lot and, and the impression I got was that there was a hesitancy towards aging and, and clearly I put a name on it that it was shame, which is not either of your experiences in the in your in your world. So um it's a is it a um an unwillingness to embrace the wisdom that comes, that next cycle, that you know, embracing your self worth I guess in that later stage. My feeling is it's it could be that, but it's also societal. So the, the culture in which we are immersed very much values the young. So it, the um, people who are sort of over 40 are already old by young people's perspective. I remember growing up, my teenage children thought that people over 30 were absolutely gross if they had sex. It's <laughs> like, you know, that just had to stop. As soon as you hit 30, surely you're not still doing it. And... Um, <laughs> I think when you look at the magazines and you look at the television and you look at the general media that surrounds us, uh, young is popular, young yes. young sells. Yes. Old is very much not popular and doesn't sell. And so it's not so much shame, it's a desire to run with the wolves, to be like everybody else. And old is not perceived as um, attractive or desirable. That is true. Mm. That is very true. Um, and we're an aging population, so it's quite interesting because we're going to have far more older 
people than younger people. Mm. Uh, already there, we're already getting there, but it's actually going to get so much worse. So it'll be interesting to see how how that works with the media and the portrayal of the reflection in TV programs on um, on news reports, you know, whether it stays very young centric or actually if it embraces the wisdom of the um, of the older people. I think if we could somehow reverse that trend, I don't think that the marketing and the media companies are on our side. But if there were a reversal of that trend where it became quite um, trendy to be old, that would shift. People would be more inclined to let their hair be grey and I think the other thing that puts people off getting old is that it's associated with the idea that you need to have the menopausal spare tire and um, your, your, your sexiness can go once you hit that time of life, which is actually not at all true. But it's a perception that, that women have and that men have that you're, you know, you're kind of past it and it doesn't matter now if you have the extra cream caramel or the extra bowl of ice cream yes. because you've menopaused and it's your time now to indulge. Yes. So I think that's a bit of a sad um, idea that you can't be incredibly sexy after you've menopaused. I've got it. When you say that, I've got that, that um, picture of, oh, I've reached it. And it's almost, I think sim- something similar happens with people when they get married is that, you know, you, you find a boyfriend and you go, ha, oh, you get married, you go, ha. Oh, and there's a, there's a um, uh, letting yourself go as if you've reached something. And I think something similar happens sort of a little bit later when you think, oh, I, I don't need to worry about that anymore and actually it, it possibly again is is being shown in our society through the rising rates of obesity and you know corresponding illnesses with diabetes and uh, cardiovascular disease so i think you're spot on with something there the letting go people really aren't into change though either and that i think is also for some of the older when i say older i've had a conversation recently with someone and you know in your 40s, when you reach 40, you could live another 40 years, which is quite doable. And when you're 50, you know, and yes, we may, but to live to your 100. So when you hit 60, to live to 120. So I think people start to um, evaluate or look at what which is an awful thing to say what time they have left because none of us know really but it's that sort of pressure so as we said coming back to sort of the youth it seems to be aimed at that so people then are thinking oh what's for me what's for me my time's getting shorter running out yes you know what can I do to to keep on top of that sort of thing I like it you're listening to Triple H 100.1 FN and stay in the loop with Lucy. Welcome back. to This morning we are talking about menopause and all things hormone, how they can be affected by uh, the stresses and strains in our lives. Um, we were talking about getting older, the culture, our values. In this next section, we're going to be talking about our body and what ha- the changes that happen in our body and uh, physically how we deal with that, what we notice. So, Jean, before we went to the break, you were talking about body shape. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I think that 
I think there is a, a tendency for for women to think that when they've menopaused, they will get that kind of um, spare tire abdomen around the solar plexus and the tummy, that sort of extra weight put on, and that that's a fait accompli. And then the culture, the, the sisterhood, sort of supports that. Like, you know, one of you might say, oh, I've got this jolly spare tire. Oh, well, you know, love, that happens. And so there's this kind of um, cultural trance that we uh, are susceptible to. And uh, my experience is that it's not true. So I'm 62 years old, and over the last eight years, I've lost 25 kilos. So in my 40s, I was a big girl. And I was very strong and I was a yoga teacher and I rode horses. I feel a bit sorry for the horses now that I'm 25 <laughs> kilos head lighter. But there was that sort of, um, and, and how that happened was nothing really to do with menopause. It was to do with me taking responsibility for how much I love myself and how much I'm connected with myself. So what I eat and how much sleep I get and how present I can be to my body. And that let the weight drop off. Not so much a desire to lose the weight, but a connection. And that's made me believe that this cultural trance of, oh, yes, well, you know, that happens as we reach for another gluten and cream-laded scone, that actually it's not necessary to put weight on when you're menopause. I think we do have physical changes in our body that means we need to eat less and eat different Mm. because the process of menstruating takes up a lot of energy and it keeps the body busy and uses up a lot of calories. So we have to adjust our intake and our, our energetic levels and how we treat ourselves in order not to store that spare as, as fat around the middle. I've noticed that I, it's I'm much more aware of the nervous energy because my it seems like my body is calling to be much more still, much more tender, much more gentle. Which might be just me connecting as a woman, but I believe that it's um, that at the moment it's also that I'm getting to an age where my body is calling me to do that. Um, the the burning of the fuel that I used to put in my body is no longer as demanded. So I have to adjust what I eat in order to honour that. Or very often I will react more to the food that I'm eating because my body just says, actually, I, didn't, I don't need that. I don't want that. Yes, like for me, the amount of protein that I was eating diminished after menopause. Mm. Well, even, even not straight with menopause, but after awareness, because I was a bit unaware when I menopaused, And then I started developing awareness around my body uh, probably about 10 years after or five years after I menopaused. Mm. And that's when I thought, no, I don't feel like eating this piece of steak. Whereas pre-menopause, I would have munched it up and loved it. And you probably needed that protein for cell repair and recreating what I was losing with menstruation. Mm. So I think there is that need to be really onto yourself and to check in with yourself is this what I feel like? And you might find that a salad and a tiny bit of smoked salmon might do the trick rather than a whopping big steak mm. and chips, say. So it's how much fuel and what type of fuel you put in. But there are f- actual physical changes like my nails, my hair, and I'm sure that, Trudy Ann, you would notice, I mean, you can probably with your eyes shut tell whether a woman has menopaused mm. just from the quality of her hair. Yeah, definitely. Hair, um, nails, that's another sort of thing, and dryness in skin. Um, 
And I'm not quite there yet. Um, Lucy and I, I think, are on our well, way. Well, up. we should we should clarify. There's perimenopause, which is when everything is changing. Menopause is actually when you've had a year without menstruating. So that that those the term that we're probably talking about. We've probably got two different ways of looking at it. We've got the perimenopause, where you can actually do an awful lot to support yourself and actually your body is desperately calling for you to support yourself and then you know what everything looks like with a year of 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 not having a menstruation so you you know what you still have a monthly cycle but it feels very different yeah. so, so yeah so yeah. lucy and i are in the peri yep. and i must admit um i'm generally someone who believes that i'm in control of all my situations, particularly at work and, and how I work. Um, but there have been times when you sort of say the anxiety that it's just like, oh my gosh, where has this come from? And why am I feeling this? And emotional, which <laughs> normally I'm not quite, but I could cry at anything. Um, and I think it was an awareness of getting to that as well. Um, and interesting enough, obviously because of... Um, being a hairdresser you do get to talk to lots of clients and you know so to start with I actually uh, put it in the same sort of category as when women have um, children it's like this um, thing that nobody talks about don't no one says a word you know it's like oh it's a wonderful thing and you know and you get the baby and then you hear <laughs> after they've had the children then they'll say oh my gosh this oh yes oh isn't it so for me it was a little similar with menopause so I started to say to people oh gosh I think I'm starting with menopause and you know this this and all these clients and other friends about oh yes oh and have you had this and have you had that? it's like why is it this secret code that nobody <laughs> talks about and gives you some sort of you know like yeah. it's okay this is what you're going to experience maybe you should look at this oh what about this and so you can get perhaps all your ducks in a row yeah. that works for what works for you connect Definitely. with where you are so it was quite an interesting thing I was like oh why has nobody shared this this is just wrong <laughs> there is definitely a way of living that can help us and a way of living that can make it just 10 times worse. I remember I, I first noticed something was going on when my behavior was really similar to my um, my ch two girls who were going through puberty and I was thinking, hmm, I think I'm supposed to be the one that's supposed to be the really sensible one in this relationship and I'm, I'm as emotional and teary as they are. And uh, I went and got some very good uh, medical as well as emotional support and, and suddenly went, okay, it was, it was beautiful to have uh, my practitioner say to me, hold your stick, Lucy, you be the, you know, and let, let her, you know, be the one that wavers because she needs something that's stable in her life. And I had to be it. Mm. So therefore, for me, I went and got an amazing relationship with my local GP and um, took time to for them to get to know me, for me to get to know them. And we worked together to say what is physically going to support me while I go and actually get the emotional support and, and change some of the ways I'm living so that actually I can look at the whole picture um, because my role within the house needed to be solid. I actually couldn't indulge in it at all. I needed to build a way of living that was, you know, contributing to the house, not dumping in the house. 
I think that's really important, Lucy, when you say support yourself, because I'm sure the listeners are going, yes, yes, but what does support yourself look like? Mm. You know, does it look like having your feet up and a cup of coffee with a biscuit at 10 o'clock in the morning? Mm. Or is there something else we can do mm. that is supportive? And for me, from a, a psycho babble, psychotherapy point of view, um, it's a bit the same as our menstrual cycle. When we haven't dealt with the issues that are facing us, uh, the week before our period can be very fraught. Mm. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of tension between us and our primary relationships. And it it's because there are a lot of things in the undone basket. I'll call it the to-do basket, but actually it's the kind of never dealt with basket. And they kind of um, stack up around the week just before our period. And I did experience that when I got support to get on with the things that I was procrastinating about or face the things that I was frightened of, like perhaps old childhood hurts or things that were bothering me in my life, things between my husband and I. And when I had dealt with those, I found the next monthly cycle, this was before menopause, so much easier. I didn't have the same tension mm. as I had beforehand. And when I let things slide, uh, the build-up became really uh, noticeable the week before my period. And I think menopause is a bit like that. When we've got lots of undealt with issues in our lives mm. and we're going through menopause, it's like the volume's turned up, the amplifiers are on. Yeah. Whereas when we take the trouble or get support and take responsibility to begin to deal with some of those undealt with things, and they could be like saying what's true for you in relationship, right across to tidying the attic or the basement. It's it's stuff that kind of is still lurking that hasn't been dealt with. And to me, the menopause is a bit of a an amplifier of those undealt with issues. So one of the ways we can support ourselves is to deal with our undealt with issues. And even when we start, there's a kind of chorus of, ah, in the body. Mm. And that in itself lessens the amount of tension we have to deal with. I love that. That's incredibly practical. It's the it's the macro and the micro working together. So you see, in fact, it could you could be going through puberty and address your life in exactly the same way as you would, at, you know, and all the way through your cycles through the twenties, thirties. So any of our listeners, even as men, you you have the same cycles. It's a, a deal with your stuff now so that you don't actually leave it to a time in your life where your hormones are going to change and it all becomes massive. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, we also, I think I'm speaking for all of us here, came through in a time when you were sort of saying, you know, like for when you start puberty, but we came through in a time where that really wasn't spoken about. You no. know, it was like, yeah, you have a period now and they explained all of that and then there was not like so the support that you're getting you can be supportive for your girls yeah we didn't sort of have that and it wasn't that a um there was it was not there it wasn't that no. they couldn't help they couldn't help us as in because they hadn't experienced or that's what had been with them and their yeah. mother and when now i think we've got more information and we're more connected that we can do all that stuff and support one another. Where I think back in our day, we probably didn't have quite as much support when we started puberty. You know, Trudy-Anne, what you've just said has really made me connect. 
what you're talking about is in our day, it was a bit like someone said, oh, yes, well, you've got the curse now, you know. <laughs> That's true. And, yeah. and I can remember with my teenage girls, by, by my husband bought flowers home and celebrated the fact that they were now women. Beautiful. So that's a complete difference in, and I think it's a little bit the same. It's a new area of your life, and we could celebrate menopause. Yes. Mm. Is to say, buy flowers because I'm menopausing, and now I welcome in this new phase of my life, just like puberty. Rather than you know looking at it as as oh well now I'm on the I'm on the scrap heap because I'm not the with a young and glamorous celebrity state anymore um, I'm on the sh- I'm on I'm, I'm over the hill or whatever term we use is a bit like the curse mm. when you were saying yeah. how how the climate's changed with time yes. I feel that's something to be celebrated. Firstly, you get rid of the curse, which is quite handy, um, <laughs> and you can wear white and you can wear Without white safely fear. yeah but now i'm one of those strange people that's never had an issue with wearing white oh well mm. you i i take my hat off to mm-hmm. you I, i'm in fear <laughs> of wearing white anyway we better go to the news and we will carry on with this conversation just after <laughs> Welcome back, Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. We are talking menopause today with Jean Gamble and Trudy Ann Carmody. Is it comedy or comedy? Comedy. Comedy. Trudy Ann Carmody. Comedy sounds really like flash. Really? <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it's not me when you say that. It's like, oh, Carmody. Mm, maybe it's your elder name, Trudy uh, maybe. Ann Carmody. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, before the break... We touched on something that was really pertinent. We, we were saying how times have changed. And so we actually have far more support for ourselves now as we go through the different stages of our hormones and our life cycles. So we should embrace that when we go into this latter stage in the perimenopause. Really, doctor would be the first port of call, wouldn't it? Because... Um, there are lots of different reasons for going for the hormones fluctuating, and actually, you've got to get to the bottom of what what's happening, which ones are out of balance, and where they're going. Jean, do you want to add anything further to that one? Yes, I think that we, um, we as women, maybe as older women, we've kind of learned that we have to do everything by ourselves, and there's this sort of stoic endurance, and I think that leads to the body. Um, presenting difficulties because it's the body's way of communicating to you to say you don't have to be a martyr you don't have to do everything all by yourself go and get some support and so if we listen to the body and as Lucy says the doctor would be the first port of call there's actually a postgrad that doctors can do and naturopaths and dentists um, run by the Australian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine ACNIM is the acronym and the, the doctors in those professionals who've done that training have got a sort of specific knowledge about these what's out there what's available that can support us particularly um, in the area of aging and in all areas of health and so those doctors and also general GPs will give you a barrage of tests to do blood tests urine tests and sometimes saliva tests and um They'll send you off and these will be analysed and then they'll say, well, look, you have got absolutely no progesterone in your body. 
and you're sitting there thinking, oh, this is because I'm menopausing, but it could be because there's just an imbalance that's come about through the fluctuations brought on by this pe- this period of our lives. Yeah. So once you get the test results and you get the supplements, which are normally from a compounding pharmacy designed specifically for you, and you start taking these, it's like the sun comes out. Yes. So all that emotional agony... I'm not saying this will be the absolute fix, but it certainly made a huge difference to me. Yeah. Is to get these tests done. I had chemotherapy when I was oh, eight years ago, and I think that interfered a lot with the balance in my body. Mm-hmm. And if you've had a lot of stress in your life, like trauma in your childhood or later in your life, the actual effect of the trauma can end of interfere with your endocrine system's balance and regularity so getting those tests done and acknowledging that you can have support would be one of the first things to do and then there's more that you can do um, in terms of nurturing yourself Mm. and again it's like as mothers as women we look after the boss if we're the PA we look after the kids if we're mum we look after the grandchildren if we're grandma and we look after our husbands if we're married and many of us look after our friends yeah and the person who's on the bottom of this list is us yeah. And so the, the beginning of support is to start nurturing yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of my friends have said, yeah, I nurture myself. Every 10 o'clock on the night, I just leave work and I go downstairs and buy myself a beautiful cappuccino or a latte. And that's my nurture. But we're, we're talking here about a different level of nurture. Mm. This is to have the courage to work out what you want in life and then to go out and get it, even if you make yourself unpopular. It's like saying, yep, this is what I need and saying, guys, I'm sorry, I won't be able to do that for you because I have to put my own needs first. So there is a level of expression that you can connect to when you start this process that can push buttons. For example, we've covered this in shows before. If you have been the person that has always done pickups and drop-offs and your young people are now teenagers and a perfectly capable of getting the bus or the train initially when you say you're not doing the pickups and drop-offs there is pushback if you've made dinner every night for the past 20 years or 15 years when you start saying you're not actually making dinner and someone else is going to do it or we're having you know uh, reheated whatever we're having leftovers um or there is a pushback and the the challenge is not to react to that pushback but to understand that you might have over the years created an expectation that people have of you that you've bought into so when you're changing you have to allow others to a little bit of space and grace just as you're giving it to yourself that they may have a bit of pushback even though you then beautifully explain i appreciate that this is how it's been for the past have many years but actually to look after myself at the moment i have to say no i have to go to this yoga class or i have to go for a walk right now as opposed to you know looking after you yeah yeah and that's so true with friendships as well as children in the workplace there's usually somebody who's always been the go-to horse that carries the responsibility and when that person stops and says no i'm looking after myself yeah people go what you can't do that you always pull the all-nighter why are you going home Sometimes yeah. there too, I think the key thing is there, we don't communicate. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, 
that's what we do, you know, so why I want to change, why isn't everybody on board with this? And it's like we yeah. haven't actually told too many people. But surely you can read it. Surely Correct. you can just know. You're uh, psychic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Can uh, you tell no. not, not tell by the look on my face? Surely. <laughs> surely. But, yeah. Surely you're in my head. <laughs> but that's, that's so true. And when we were talking before about um, getting information and that sort of thing, that's what I think I found was interesting when you clients started to say, oh, yes, I've done this. And then they would tell you what's worked for them. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's the road that I want to go down. But again, I didn't really know of any road. Mm-hmm. So when they sort of started and, you know, you've HRT, HRT, you hear things on all of that. And then some of them were telling the stories on that. It was like, oh, okay, I can see why the, you believe that's worked for you yes. or whatever. Yes. Then you do the, you know, homeopathy and then ones that we're doing with compound chemists. Yeah. I've heard all of the, the yeah. different sort of ones. So it starts to set me up to look at what I believe is right for me or what I'm connected to. That's right. Always being open to what works for one person might not work for another. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the I think that's where you've got to get a good doctor that doesn't say one size fits all. And, you know, the evidence is fantastic, but you are an individual and you will respond to a, a, a collection of treatments in a different way. And it could be that you go to your doctor and you have this barrage of tests and everything's completely in the normal range. Yeah. So then at least you know, yes. okay, well, this is purely around self-care, self-support, nurturing myself yeah. and getting rid of those things that cause me anxiety because yeah. they are exacerbated at menopause time. Mm. That's true. I wonder... Um, when we talk about things that we can do to support ourselves, I would put sleep in there because that's one of the things that really goes um, odd, really fluctuates. I mean, uh, my my first indicator, what if I had been more aware, I probably would have spotted all the others. But the first one that slapped me in the face was that I soaked the bed. Now, literally... Not not from my bladder. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. just like to clear that up just in case anyone's going, you know, too much information. But the, my all my clothes, everything was wet and I was I I thought, Oh gosh, I must be too hot in my covers but when it happened a couple of times I started just saying, you know, I I was really hot last night. It did, took another person to say to me, Hey, are you sure that there isn't something going on with your hormones? And I was like, No, I'm too young way too young but it was extreme and um that was my first sign so sleep is is one something that can be messed up by the hormones very much so Ooh. and even not just with the sweat the hot sweats it can just be that you lie awake for yeah. hours looking <laughs> at the ceiling mm. and thinking why am i not sleeping <laughs> and yes. it's yeah i agree with that and i'm normally someone when i, I was when i went to bed i never woke pretty much until the morning yeah and I could get out of the bed and just pull the sheets and that up I didn't move really yep so I started with this thing then of waking you know and like Jean said sometimes you'd be there and you'd be thinking oh my gosh (laughs) and I'd start with you know trying to meditate and you know get myself and eventually I'd go back off um but one of the things then when you said about 
wetting, feeling <laughs> that you're wet. Um, I have really bad circulation. And so I always joke that surely when my time comes, I would just even out. <laughs> Life couldn't be that cruel that I would have to, you know, go through this experience. Well, let me tell you, that's not the case. It's just you still get to do everything. And But for me... The first part when, again, with all clients, you know, they talk about flushes and this wave and this power surge. So one particular time I can remember, and the only way I can describe it is like this, not like pins and needles, but almost that sort of thing that you can feel it sort of coming up your body and, you know, and I really went into this like, oh my gosh, and I became really anxious about it. But once I realised that that's what it is and how it sort of all comes and it happens now in bed as well. So I will actually wake and when I wake, I think, mm, okay, and within a split second it comes and, you know, I have to put my arm out and I have to put my leg over on the cold <laughs> side of the bed and then it's like, oh, okay, and then back under the covers yeah. I go. But now because I realise that, I don't actually stress and get as anxious yeah as it was, because it's like, this is okay. This is yeah. just what Normal. has to happen. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. just embrace it. It's not. But the first time, I must admit, it really was, oh, my God, what is this? I noticed that it got worse if I was if I resisted it. And it was going to happen anyway. Yes. So it was like, you just go with it or you don't. And it gets big or it doesn't. I never had them during the day. And I think that that might be slightly harder because, obviously... My, my clothes were soaking, so at least in, in my bed I could change my clothes, but when you're out it's, it, is, it is not so easy. Um, but I noticed that how I was at night was a direct reflection of how I was in the day. So if I'd been stressed in the day, I, you bet your bottom dollar I would have, I would have a, a flush at night. Mm which I found really interesting, but it was an, an amazing conversation to have with myself because I, didn't, I hadn't put the two and two together before that. So again, I think our bodies are amazing in terms of the conversations they'll have with us if we listen. Mm-hmm. And that, that leads me to that undealt with stuff, you know, like mm. if you've got stress, it's amplified in the night times or even at menopause time. I had a lot of hot flushes during the day. Mm-hmm. Mine didn't reserve themselves for night. And I didn't worry about it. I just layered up so that I could take clothes off. Yeah. And it kind of felt a bit like going to the gym, but you hadn't had to have gone to the gym. <laughs> so you got quite sort of warm and glowy and sweaty and a bit pink. Yeah. And it was like, oh, I feel like I've just, you know, run or done weights or done a circuit. And actually I've just been sitting here reading a book. Yeah. So it felt a bit like a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> I didn't worry about it. And I, I was working and I would sometimes have to strip off and get a bit hot in the face. And I didn't allude to it. I just, a lot of people didn't notice. Yeah. If you didn't, if you just could layer, you know, layer down. There yeah. are two ways to look at it, aren't there? Glass half full, glass half empty. Mm-hmm. Do you, if you, if, if it's a woe is life, if everything is hard and, and it's, it really is a way you're looking at it. As to how, as you say, you just said, you just, you know, you prepared yourself, you had clothes you could take off, put on, um, you didn't excuse yourself, Mm. there was no panic or drama, and the body just did a very gentle process, or or might be a very big process, but it just did what it was going to do anyway, and you move on. 
That just made me think when Jean said that um, some people get it, as we've discussed, with the flushes even more so than others. And really I've had um, friends and that that have to actually have a little fan to blow on them because it gets so bad at work and stuff like that. Where whether mine is for my circulation, I don't think mine is that bad. It just sort of comes and then eases. But like you, I tend to now have to do things where I can layer and and do that. But I can remember, and this was quite a few years back, some clients that I would know already because cutting their hair, you could feel the heat and you could see that it was getting damp. Moist. And, and I would think, oh, you're about to have, you know, but don't say anything. But then the client would actually apologise. Oh, and really? say, Yeah. And say, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm getting a hot flush. I was like, oh. And I actually at the time thought, oh, how odd, why would you need to apologise? Like, you can't help that. It's, mm. it's just part of, but I often knew it before they did. And then when you'd look at them in the mirror, they would be red and, yeah. You see the pink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. We have been talking about menopause and um, all the the, um, amazing things that can uh, come as you approach that uh, next cycle of your life and you you step into the wisdom uh, that can only come from having lived life. Uh, Although I have to say I've met an awful lot of toddlers who are seriously wise. Um, (laughs) So uh, what can I say? This next section, I suspect, will have a fair bit of uh, entertainment in it. We're going to talk cranky pants. We are going to talk about the moods that come over you, the um, brutal honesty that can come out of your mouth when you um, suddenly uh, lose the (laughs) edit button, um, as I have many times. Um, Jean had a really good point. Apparently, we've got to normalise the behaviour. Jean, tell me more. Well, I think we can take it as given that you do get um, irritable and cranky when you menopause. And maybe instead of fighting... I don't know if that's true for everybody. And my experience for myself is what I keep harping on about is the more you've dealt with your undealt with stuff, the less that is that crankiness is amplified. So the, that goes back to the beginning is tidy the attic, deal with your relationship issues, tell the children that they're not allowed to eat the chocolate on the white lounge and, you know, prepare the ground so that there's less things to annoy you. And you may have been in put up with mode before menopause, but now that you're in menopause, those things you were putting up with are going to be unbearable. So it's what um, Trudy Ann was saying is communication is essential. So if you can tell your friends and your family, yes, I'm going through menopause and it's possible that I will be more exacting, crankier than usual and bear with me. It reminds me a bit of a cartoon I saw where a woman was saying, uh, yes, I'm in menopause and I have a gun and a knife. Now what's your question? (laughs) And so I think if people are warned, they can be aware. And other than that, other than normalizing it, preparing people and clearing out your own undealt with stuff is just to breathe through the crankiness. I don't know if you ladies remember how, I think my husband suffered more than I did and my children during that cranky period. Yeah, you know, I think there is a level of personal responsibility that I always think it's important to take as well. I, 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 I equate menopause uh, to being very similar to puberty 
and you know as as you've got your hormones going up so you've got them coming down and there's there's that real similarity in in the the bit of you that can't really control and you are cranky pants and you are direct and, and it is really difficult for those around you however I noticed that I actually could make that an excuse to dump on my husband and my children and get away with it. And I actually felt worse because I was abusing them, you know, and I was saying, yes, but I'm menopausal. You know, I'm feeling my hormones are all over the place today. And they may be. And, you know, there is there is a justification for that and, and the communication is important. So understanding can be brought in by those around you. But I'm also aware that... I I had to deal with my stuff so that I didn't have the explosion that then meant that someone else had to have their head ripped off because I you know they I wanted them to clean their room and they were now telling me that they had a different priority to that. Mm. Because I'm on my own, I actually have a whole another sort of um, thing. I believe when I start to get a little bit like that, I tend to um, become inward. So I would tend to sort of think, oh, I just can't be bothered, can't be bothered to go out or whatever. I'll just, because I feel I'm in that kind of a mood. So anybody, if they say anything, I just know I'm going to not be, you know, in a great place. But interestingly enough, I have been out and, you know, and there are some things and I do think then I think, oh, what are you saying and why are you saying that? And then in within me thinking, don't verbalise that. That's their <laughs> thing. It's not me. And then thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, I hope I don't have that look on my face that actually is saying, mm, yeah, we can tell what you're thinking with the whole bit. Yeah. But I have actually spoken about this to some other friends and they're on that same wavelength saying the same thing. Oh, I know. I thought the same. I thought this. And then they, we support one another. No, I didn't think that you came across like that. No, I didn't think you came across like that. Oh, okay. That's so good. So actually there is a whole conversation going on in all of our heads that, that is probably going on energetically just outside of us that everyone's feeling everyone <laughs> rather than actually what's being spoken about in real life. It is. It's, yeah. I love what you said about responsibility, Lucy, is taking the responsibility to manage your own feelings. Mm. And I think I'm much better at that nowadays uh, than I was when I was menopausal. I think I just did a bit of dumping. Yeah, we know more now, though, mm. again. Uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've learned so much doing this show and having people like you on, Jean. And, you know, you, I learned so much from my guests. It, I, I feel like I grow each week because of the wisdom that, that we all share when we talk to each other. And I, I feel that that's what we all need to do for each other because if you'd had us two in your life, <laughs> you know, maybe you would have approached it very differently. Mm. Mm. And it wasn't something that we talked about a lot amongst the women friends that I had. No. It was just a bit more quiet to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's exactly the same as we said in the break. I've learned so much just from, what have we been here? In yeah. An hour, a little over an hour. Yeah. So, yeah, just talking to different people and different experiences and stuff like that. Yeah, you really feel, oh, you can do anything. And it makes you more aware. Mm -hmm. Like just hearing what Jean said, it's like, mm, yeah, do you do the, you know, the dumping and that sort of thing? But then when you said we have to take responsibility for ourselves, it's like, 
I believe if Jean was doing it now, she would be a completely different person just yeah. from what she yeah. has said. There's, there's the responsibility and there's the understanding. So yeah. as in a teenager, you, you cannot accept someone abusing you. You mm. can't. I did a whole show on domestic violence last week and it was extraordinary. Abuse is abuse. However, understanding, in certain situations, understanding needs to be brought in. What is going on in that woman's life or that teenager's life that they're talking to me the way they are and how can I express back to them, hey, that's not okay. I understand that you've got stuff going on, but the way you spoke to me now, that was that was harsh or that was vicious or whatever the word you want to use. How, can, is there any other way you can say it to me that I can hear it? Because when you talk to me like that, I... I can see it, you're passionate about it, but I can't. I can't hear it. I don't understand reaction, what you're saying. My reaction to what you're saying is yeah. in the way of me comprehending. That's it. right. Yeah. That's right. Um, you know, Lucy. One of the things we haven't talked about is libido. So a lot of women say that when they menopause, they don't. Um, they're not as interested in sexual intercourse as they were before. Mm-hmm. And my experience is that this is also part of the body's communication system. It's offering you a different way of making love. Mm -hmm. So perhaps with the busyness of life and the age that we were, children, teenage, growing up, whatever, um, or work, there's a tendency that sort of sexual intercourse is putting tab A into slot B and moving it around a lot until something happens. (laughs) And... um, it could happen for both of no, you if you're lucky and it could happen for just one of you if you're very tired and you want to get it over with. So um, <laughs> there's a tendency with menopause to for the woman to begin to claim yourself sexually mm-hmm. rather than get disinterested, get more interested mm-hmm. about what is it that my body really wants because it can change how you make love and it's it, it can become the difference between making love and having sex and nowadays a lot of younger people are already aware of this and there's so much written in magazines but it's um it is a it's almost like the woman's body says i can't do that anymore i need something different and some of us interpret that as i can't do that anymore go somewhere else or don't come here Mm. and it isn't that we mustn't do it anymore it's that we mustn't do it that way anymore Right. And that's part of what we have to do as we menopause is get more in touch with our womanly bits. So that includes the cervix, the uterus, the ovaries, and Mm. more in touch with the cycles. Mm -hmm. Because we now will be governed by the cycle of the moon. Yeah. If the moon can have an effect on the tides, what do we think it's doing to the fluids in our body? Yeah. And so there's a whole new cycle of... um, appreciation and awareness that can come to the menopaused woman about her body and you know your your um, your vagina can still be quite um, lubricated when you before menopause and after menopause you can suffer from dry vagina mm-hmm. but the more you connect with your with your uterus and your vagina and your ovaries the more present you can be to them the more they respond okay so it can actually be changed in terms of um, how much you, you bother to be with yourself as a woman in, in menopause can change and how you make love. And that could be for two women uh, and or a, a, in a lesbian relationship or in a 
in a heterosexual relationship. Yeah. You have to start, it's same with the food. You also have to make love differently if you're going to carry on having a satisfying sexual relationship. Okay. Oh, mm. Fascinating. Mm, that is. Let's go to some community service announcements and uh, we'll do our final little topic when we come back, which is talking about some practices that you've experienced. So we've got sacred movement that we'll talk about, but we'll also talk about, um, you know, maybe uh, some practical tips with getting in touch with that area in our body, our ovaries, our uterus, and how, you know, even a gentle walk can help make that connection that we can then bring into other parts of our life. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. When we talk about supporting ourselves physically, let's talk about what that might look like now, how we do it. You speaking, Trudy Ann, earlier about going to sleep and when you wake up in the night, you had a particular tool that you used to settle yourself down. So meditation might be it, but... Let's talk about meditation where you are firmly in your body rather than meditation where we go off. Yeah, um, yeah it was um, that sort of feeling instead of to get out of your head, I suppose, for me, because your head, then you're thinking of all the other things and you just think, no, let's just bring it back. And even I start sort of like, you know, just from your feet and up to your legs and the whole sort of thing. And again, now, as we've been talking, I think I would sort of put in then um, when I get to sort of where my uterus and my ovaries and just connect and maybe stay there for a little bit and just see what feelings come up in that sort of thing and be aware that you are safe. There's no fear yeah. involved in it. It's something that you're going through. And I'm sure that when doing that, you would start to sort of release and then your body would relax and I think the sleep would come. Yeah. 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 I really think that sounds perfect. So it, as Lucy said, meditation where you go out of your body and do, you know, sort of traveling around the cosmos, that's not useful here. It's almost like the, the body is asking, the wakefulness is asking us to come back deeply into a connection with ourselves as physical as beings, like you said, the, the feet, the knees, the hips, and then staying with the, the uterus, the pelvis, the hips, all of that area that is the part of women that is sacred. Because as we come into menopause, our body is asking us to honor our sacredness. It's a time when we're generally not as busy with minding children or work perhaps, and it's a time for us to support ourselves as women, and the body is the is giving us the clues that this is what we need to do. You mentioned something there about honouring our sacredness. That is very much about our ovaries and, and uterus and that whole feminine area, even I would include the breast in that, that it's very, that there is something very, uh, um, I want to say fragile, I want to say... Uh, precious. Precious. Yeah, that's the exact word that I was looking for. It is. It's incredibly precious. So connecting with the preciousness and the sacredness and celebrating it rather than seeing it as something bad, which I genuinely think society has kind of warped those words to be something that's weak and amazing strength. It's true. And 
a bit the societal thing again, how he talked about the current, current culture wants us to be young. It often also wants us to be male or at least boy-like. I was talking to a doctor friend of mine the other day who was saying that her opinion as a doctor is less because she's female wow. in the profession. So her colleagues would be less inclined to listen to her because she's a woman, whereas if there were a male doctor saying the same thing, they might sit up and take notice. Mm. And so she's kind of learned to put her female bits away mm. because it's a competitive world out there. And I think it's the same in corporate, mm. not just the medical profession, but out in business. So if you're a woman and you're expressing a viewpoint on perhaps the return on revenue or shareholders' dividends or something, you're less likely to be listened to because you have sacred bits than if you had dangly bits. Mm. So um, mm. I think women True. have learned to disconnect in a way in order to compete in a male-dominated world. Interestingly, I wonder if, you know, we talk about micro, macro, whether the internalness of us is what isn't appreciated but the externalness so it's like the doing has far more value the 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 outward expression has far more value than the inward expression perhaps that's going too far but you know i just there's something in that maybe now you mentioned sacred and you do you run a class called sacred movement don't you Jean? i do yes now it's not in our area which is a bit of a shame but i but it doesn't mean that we can't understand what it is and what you're noticing in the women who've done it for a period of time with you would you mind just giving a background and telling us about it it's an amazing modality and it's for men and women okay it's not specifically for for women i have men who come to my classes as well and um, women hold their, their sacredness in the cervix and men hold their sacredness in the inner shoulder. And so we work really bringing attention and focus to both those areas of the body. And um, it's a little bit like you could relate it a little bit to Persian dancing. Maybe not belly dancing, but it's a bit sort of like a Persian dance. And it's very sensual and very much allowing the women to open the flow of their own sexiness and the men. So w what we could do is we could compare it, say, with dancing in a club where the movements are very um, orchestrated to attract attention to us as sexual women as opposed to just allowing the grace and fluidity of your own sacredness to move you. And the music is beautiful. It's got a Persian theme to it, the music, and it's got a rhythm. And so when you connect with the music and the rhythm and you allow your own sacredness to flow through your body, you can, um, you can connect with yourself as sacred sexiness. So this music in the background is the music that you play, isn't it? Yes. That's right. That's Persian Dawn by Michael Ben-Hayen. Yeah. So it, what do you, in this little bit, is, it's about the connection, is it? Yes. Yeah. So we're always sacred. We just have lost our connection with it in the busyness of life or in the need to put your feminine away because this calls for a tough exterior. So we, in the beginning, the, the, the music's divided into two. And the beginning, which is this that's in the background now, we do little figure eights and uh, on their side, like an infinity symbol, with the center of the body. So the hips are not leading the movement, the cervix is leading the movement. And then that pools, we make a kind of connection with that pool of energy in the cervix area or the lower abdomen for the men. And then we actually physically bring that energy 
up into the heart area. And then we emanate that to each other in the second half of the music changes and it's more rhythmical and a bit more jazzy. And that's when we connect with each other and the universe and we allow that sacred energy to flow out of us through the heart, through the chest, through the crown of the head. Wow. It's amazing. Have you noticed a difference in the women who've been doing the the program with you? Oh, it's huge. And in myself, because even though I facilitate, I am doing it as well. And we run the classes fortnightly in Mossman on a Sunday morning. In fact, I ran one this morning before coming oh. onto this radio station. And the women themselves are saying that it's helping them out in the world. One lady said in her workplace now, she's able to look her, her boss in the eye, who's a man, and really hold herself as woman equal to him while he's giving instructions or sharing something. Whereas before she used to kind of make herself into a little girl or kowtow or something. So it's helping us to That's hold ourselves energetically as powerful yet gentle and sacred women in the world mm. it's also affecting how we walk so there's a sort of way of walking where your thigh bone the femur is kind of attached to the hip bone and it walks along on its own a bit like a robot in a slightly jerky movement the femur moves in front of the hip the acetabulum of the hip and after you've been doing sacred movement for a while, it's a swaying movement where the hip generates the movement and the femur follows. And then the other hip generates the movement and the femur, the leg bone, follows. If you picture Africa, I grew up in Africa, and you can see a strong, well-built African woman carrying a very heavy load on her head, walking along a dust road, and her hips really sway but her head stays very still. Yeah. And yeah. it's that sort of connection where we haven't disconnected from the sacred sexiness. And as you pass your legs, as the weight transfers from one leg to the other, there's a kind of glide that happens across the cervix. And you can allow that to fire up your sacred sexiness. So it becomes now that walking is a kind of sacred movement for us, wow. for the women Ooh. that have been doing the classes. That's wonderful. I mean, it's, it, yeah. truly. Well, I mean, I've I've experienced it once or twice, and um, felt quite clumsy the first time I gave it a go. But you feel the group of women who are all working on the same movements together, and or by the end of it, it's just it's just amazing. Well, even with Jean talking, I've been doing my figure eight. Like, yes, just with, like, the oh, with the music, hearing the music, like, you could oh, feel the rhythm, couldn't get you? Get that going, yeah. Mm. And in the class, is it um, different ages? Yes, like, it's yeah. completely different ages. I think the youngest is about 24 and the oldest is about 65. Okay. So it's quite across quite a range. And mm. there's menopaused and non-menopaused women in there. And it's funny, it's not always the young who are juicier. Sometimes they're mm. quite contracted and tight. Mm. in the hips and cervix area and whereas an older woman maybe who's had lots of babies and had gynecologists peering up and down she's much more relaxed and open mm -hmm. about her mm. her sacredness than yeah. some of the younger ones who may have had mothers who said oh put that away now dear yeah yeah so it's yeah. very much permission and i think for me as an older woman i'm 62 i think some of them feel like oh my god i'm allowed to be this fluid and this sacred and this sexy because there's a woman my mother's age who's saying it's okay to 
you know, let it flow. Mm. So it's very much about surrendering to who we truly are and not disconnecting from that that is already there. And it's interesting, I think, then just what Jean said, that, you know, we've been going on about um, when we were in puberty, if we'd have had all this information and stuff like that. But just hearing that, sometimes it's still no different, is it? These young ones still are that tight and we think, oh, my gosh, but you've got all this stuff that we never had at your fingertips. Um, So it is more of us being aware and putting it out there perhaps so that the younger ones realise that this is okay, embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the thought of people being able to feel that experience and, and own the connection that we can have with our uterus and our ovaries and our female body, uh, claiming it as, as something that can be sacred and powerful and beautiful and normal and normal and not in competition with the male body you know that you can celebrate both equally and that the the balance of the two makes uh, amazing harmony uh, not trying for one to be better than the other it, that's it's an really that's a part on it really creates an equalness and a partnership mm. when the men in the class are reporting that they get in touch with a tenderness when they are with the women doing the sacred movement, their their tenderness is like amplified. Mm. And they, 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 there's feedback that it's an absolute honor to be with women who are really allowing their sacred sexiness out without any kind of look at me or you could have a go at this, it's a bait. It's really a process of being with yourself and connecting in that fullness with the men. And interestingly, the women say it's easier to let the volume be free and flow when there are no men in the room. And then when a guy arrives, say he's a bit late, it's a bit like, oh, I have to contract and hold on to that now. Mm. And then it's a matter of letting it go, even though there's a man in the room. Right. So it's been really wonderful having some men join us mm. for this practice because it changes how the women feel themselves when there's a male presence in the room. Yeah. Mm. So we're coming to the end. I, I can't believe that we've been speaking for an hour and a half, obviously with small gaps in between, but it, I, I just feel, I feel warm and I feel spacious and feel completely different from the start of the show. So thank you both so much. Trudy Ann, any, any last, last words from you? Um, I agree with you. I, I've found it very insightful just being here today um, and I, it's going to allow me to embrace menopause when I get fully into it um, and with lots of different, um, actually more knowing that there are the support, yeah. supports out there depending on which um, road you like to take, but really connecting with yourself and seeing what's right for you. Yeah. So to use the doctors, the nutritionists, mm. the specialists that are out there, there are lots of services that don't cost money at the same time as costing money. So there's a balance. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Jean, you've had some amazing words. So do you want mm. any last ones? No, just quickly. One last thing is the doctors are great, but it's really our connection with ourselves that will guide us. Mm-hmm. It's having it how you want it. And then having the courage to ask for it to be like that from those around you. And that can help a great deal with menopause. And I imagine with the next phase of our life, which could be dying. Yeah. So it's important that we begin to connect with awareness to what we want and how we want it. Faster, slower, higher, lower, 
not there here, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, mm-hmm. where we actually really are connecting with what we truly want and asking for it because we matter enough to have it how we want it. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. So thank you to both of you, Jean Gamble, Julianne, Carmody, love it. Thank you for listening, listeners. Uh, the podcast will be available through Stay in the Loop with Lucy website and on SoundCloud as soon as possible. But uh, sign up for updates and um, please feel free to share it on Facebook. Uh, links to all of those spaces will be available through the Triple H homepage. There's no show next week, so feel free to listen to some of the shows you may have missed or to re-listen to this one. Until then, remember to take a moment this week to look after you, to connect with the amazing people in our community. Be kind, be caring, be love, be you. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM. <laughs>